Hospitality Meets is brought to you by Rotacloud, the people management platform for hospitality teams. With its intuitive drag-and-drop rota planner and built-in budgeting tools, Rotacloud users spend an average of 66% less time on staffing-related admin, leaving them with more time to spend with their customers, train staff, or simply take a well-earned break. Head over to rotacloud.com forward slash fill to explore Rotacloud's full range of tools and features and sign up for your 30-day free trial. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Chantelle Nicholson, chef-owner of the Michelin Green Star Apricity in London. Coming up on today's show... Chantelle gets right on message. I just think it is one of the best industries that you could be part of. Phil loses control of his voice. It's pretty high risk. And Chantel gives us a monster reveal. That is quite life-changing for, for everyone's sake. All that and so much more as Chantel chats us through her wonderful story so far. Chantel has got a hell of a journey to date. Having been a semi-late starter to the industry, she quickly found herself working in elite-level kitchens. She's since taken all that learning and now has an all-roads-lead-here kind of a story. As such, there's so many great takeaways from our chat, all told with a huge amount of humility. I'd also encourage you to get yourself booked in at Apricity for an insight into how to run a restaurant with regeneration at its heart. Before we get into it, just a cheeky reminder to subscribe to the show and drop us a little review. It really helps more than I can say. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to Chantelle Nicholson. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Yes, very good indeed. Yes, we were, we were just talking about the weather beforehand, so we don't need to talk about that on, on programme today. Right, all done. Yeah, excellent. Uh, where do we find you today? Uh, I am in Angel in Islington in London. Excellent, and that will be your home, I would guess. It is indeed, yeah. Do, do you know, Angel was one of the first places that I went to when I came to London that I walked around and thought, oh, I'd love to live here. <laughs> and back then was entry level and could not afford to live <laughs> in Angel. But um, but there we are. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. It's nice and central. Yeah, it's, it's good. I love it. Good stuff. Now, uh, can't move on before we cover the accents. Where are you originally from? From New Zealand. How long have you been over here now? Oh, gosh. Uh, 18 and a half years. Really? Right. Yeah. Came for two. Came for two years, had a two-year visa, still here. I, I assume that you've covered off the fact that you don't have that two-year visa anymore and you've now got other visas that will keep you here. Definitely covered that one off, thankfully. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, um, just give the world an overview of who you are and what you do for those of the, the few people out there who might not know who you are. Gosh, an overview. Um, so I am... I guess first and foremost a chef and I have a restaurant in Mayfair in London called Apricity um, and the focus of that is very much on yeah I guess regeneration, circular economy, uh, for want of a better word sustainability um, but just try and do things a bit more positively um, yep. and make some changes moving forward so that's yeah that's probably it in a nutshell. Yeah, well, I've written down that there's, you've got your head in a few other things by the looks of things as well, but we'll come on to that in the fullness of the discussion, I'm sure. Uh, I just wanted, where did the name come from? So the name actually means the warmth of the winter sun. Really? So very much symbolises, yeah, all the things that I wanted the restaurant to be about. So that kind of, you know, that real rejuvenating feeling when it's freezing cold outside. It's a beautiful blue sky day, though, and that sun on your face is just the nicest thing ever. Yeah, well, lovely. I like that. I, well, I, I mean, I think I was introduced to you, not personally, but when you were uh, at Treadwells, we had mm -hmm. the most amazing meal at Treadwells that I can... Uh, it, was, oh. it, it was a wonderful tasting menu for not a lot of money. That's what I remember. Uh, mm -hmm. And we couldn't. We walked out of there thinking, how, how are you able to do that? It was just, <laughs> it was remarkable. Really, really great experience. Oh, that's a nice idea. Excellent. Right. Well, I mean, let's get to it. Let's get all the way back because I, having looked at your backgrounds and there's a few people that have recommended you to me as somebody to speak to on this show as well. One of the wonderful things that it looks like to me is that you're, you're definitely not somebody that set out on a course to go into hospitality. Um, so no. what did you start doing and how did hospitality come about? So I actually 
Well, I finished high school. Well, towards my end of finishing high school, I um, didn't really know what I wanted to do next. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll do something. Well, I, I, I knew I was going to university. That kind of wasn't a choice. It was just that was that was the way it was. Um, so I thought I'll do something kind of broad at university. Um, so I went and did a law and management degree um, at university. Okay. Yeah, well, you, you must have been, I suppose, academically pretty good then, because I, I would imagine that that's not something you can just kind of waltz into. So it was, um, yeah, I, I think I probably, I was one of those people that that had to, um, I'm kind of a bit all or nothing. So I either kind of go in full guns blazing or not. So when it came to study, I was kind of, I would have to kind of, let's say, cram for the cram for the exams to, to actually make it through right um and i think because yeah as, as time will, will tell it wasn't something that i enjoyed hugely the study right Maybe that's why i diverted diverted off well yeah because you of all of the subjects to choose as well i'd imagine that studying is quite an important part of learning the law indeed yes and, and a lot of it can be rather um uh not particularly enthralling so <laughs> at what point but that's the thing right there's uh, there's lots of different jobs to do out there and lots of different people to fill these jobs so you know you it's about finding out what you're not connected to as much as it is about what what you 100%, 100%, are 100 well, at what point that. did you start to think mm, this is maybe not the journey for me um i think it, i probably thought so i actually started cooking in my third year of university because I needed a job and obviously yeah kind of for many reasons one of the principal one being kind of my student loan was was growing by the day Money, so yes. I thought I would do something that was that I would kind of enjoy and that I could learn something from so that's when I started cooking and I think probably yeah that became more and more the focus I guess and when I kind of in my last year at university I think I was actually working full time so kind of 40 hours a week and the study was just the annoying bit I had to I kind right. of had to, had to get done and finish off and I think it was more yeah I guess a, a bit of fate led me to to London really which is when I kind of thought yeah I think this is probably what I'm gonna stick at okay so the the fate to London what was the what was the fate that so led you actually, here I um I actually entered a competition in New Zealand uh, okay. which was the Ironically, Gordon Ramsay scholarship competition, the one and only time it's ever been held outside of the UK. Well, alongside what was going on in the UK. Um, and just happened to yeah, happened to get into the final of that, at which point was chatting to one of the judges who was Josh Emmett, who was the head chef of the Savoy Grill at the time, who said to me, well, there's a job in London for you whenever you want one. Just let me know. Really? Right. That just... Um, <laughs> So a t- a talent spotting from the other, literally the other side of the planet. The other side of the world. So I, I just thought, okay, great. I'm not going to turn that opportunity down. And I think literally went into work the next day and handed in my notice and got my visa and jumped on a plane. Wow. Wow. And so this would have been uh, what what kind of yearage are we talking about here? So that was 2004. Okay. So I, I, Gordon yeah. was very much front and center then by at that point for sure it wasn't it was. even up and coming he had arrived yeah. he had yeah very much so yeah 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 so was there any part of you at this point was thinking this is like a lot to take in like this is a, a change of career a change of scenery you know going into a, a city that I suppose all you really know about is what you can read and see I guess you had you traveled to London before then no, no, I hadn't. Nope. Um, I had a lot of friends here at the time because it is the, the usual migration for, yeah, New Zealanders of a certain age. Well, was at that point to get, because a two-year visa was relatively easy to get. So, yeah, I kind of felt like I had enough familiarity here, but thankfully didn't really, was quite naive about what I was getting myself into, which I'm actually really grateful for now because I think if I'd yeah. realised the, the grandeur of the Savoy and the, the grill and Michelin stars, et cetera, et cetera, I probably... Talk yourself out of it. You're scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've had quite a few people on the show now actually talk about how what a wonderful quality naivety actually is. 
because without it, you kind of just, as you've just said, you might overthink something and then actually just not end up doing it. Hugely. I think it's, yeah, it is a complete, yeah. In that case for me, it was, it was probably what caused it to actually happen and, and keep happening really. Got you. Okay. So Arrival London, not just any old job as well, like you're flinging yourself into the deep end of quality. Yeah. What happened next? Yeah. So I was, um, yeah, it was one of those instances where I went from working seven and a half hour days sitting at a computer um, to working 18 hour days on my feet. Um, (laughs) So it was a slight, slight adjustment, but it was, I just remember feeling like a sponge, like everything was just new and interesting. And yeah, I was just learning a huge amount. So I think I was at Savoy for about just over a year and a half. Um, And then I kind of jumped from the frying pan into the fire, uh, literally, and went over to Patrice, which was at the Barclay Hotel. Right. And that was two stars at the time? Hadn't quite got it second. Okay. Ah, So it was was all all on you then? Almost did. I would not. (laughs) No. Wouldn't wouldn't even go there, thank you. Right. And was was that something that was in your psyche at the time that you absolutely wanted to I kind of I suppose take this sponginess of learning and just continue to kind of explore it and see to what level you could take yourself I think from actually the the move to there was was um probably for a very practical reason was that Josh who was the the head head chef that had actually employed me was leaving the Savoy he was moving on somewhere else um and I think that because I had yeah again fellow Kiwi and we got on well I think that yeah they kind of realized that I wouldn't hang around long if if he wasn't there so they thought they'd kind of take me out preempt the the move before before I did it for myself yeah and that that was very much a a very different uh experience okay you're saying it with a slight (laughs) grin on your face yeah yeah no (laughs) Yeah, probably a grimace more than a grin, I would say. Um, yeah, very, very different culture, very different experience. So wasn't probably, yeah, I think it was one of those instances where you you know what you don't want to be versus what you want to be. Yeah, well, uh, coming back to the point you were making about, you know, the law, right? And mm. it's the same within the, the subsectors, like within the sector, isn't it? You've got to learn the thing that makes you tick. Um, Absolutely. As, uh, and sometimes you've got to swim against the current to to find out the, these things. And I don't doubt that the learning experience was it brought you something for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, culturally, it's such a massive part of day to day work, isn't it? I mean, if you don't feel a connection to the culture, then it's it's not going to last long. No, no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what level were you at at this point? Um, I think I was a Almost a junior sous chef, perhaps. Yeah, I think I was. So yeah. to this point, have you done any formal chefing qualifications or are you literally just learning as you go? No, learning as I go. Right, okay. And to to this day that we're in now, has that always been the case? You've just always kind of learned, self-taught, I think you call it. Well, somebody else is teaching you. But On the you're, job training. Yeah. On the job training, I would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah across all facets, really. And that's from, yeah, obviously now it's, the, the the whole business and operational side of things as well yeah. um, and it's all just very much being yeah kind of on the job yeah so um from Patrice what what happened next so I became yeah I actually started doing more of an operational role slightly within that business because we went from having a or being part of a large organization um to being kind of independent overnight so picked up a lot of the kind of HR operational functions at that point, which then, yeah, I guess for me, I thought actually I want to do more of this and I enjoy this. Um, It's interesting. It's new, Um, which then led me to actually opening what was then known as the Gilbert Scott in St. Pancras. Yeah. So opened that as general manager. So came out of the kitchen um, and learned every single aspect of of the business and and of that that particular building as well which was quite a, a challenge 
so yeah, kind of did the 360, I guess, of, of restaurants. Yeah, um, we'd, had a, we'd have had a lot going on on that site as well, I guess, because one, it, it was a part of the Renaissance St Pancras, which is just, I mean, visually is just, I think, one yeah, of the most stunning. beautiful buildings that, that is a hotel in London. Uh-huh. But two, you, you've got to, I suppose, play the Marriott game as well as manage the, the own inter, internal expectation and you're learning a new craft at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I literally had no idea what I was doing. So it was very much a, um, yeah, I, I kind of spent a lot of a lot of hours doing doing it all and learning it all. Yeah. You're, you seem to be uh, somebody who likes the deep end then. <laughs> well, it just seems to kind of attract me, I think, attract right. me to it. <laughs> yeah so you're you're a gm now at this point um how did you find that then the kind of moving from the kitchen into kind of more uh, front-facing operational role um i think what i enjoyed was the the variation of it really and the variety that it encompassed so many things and also you know understanding how a kitchen worked and menus and food it meant i was never kind of too far away from it all as well so it was something that just yeah, and just everything was an opportunity. I saw it as kind of an opportunity to be able to learn something or to create something, really. And whether that was from, you know, a team perspective or a guest perspective or a, a functional, more operational perspective, it was, yeah, I, I had kind of full control over what was going on, which was which was quite, yeah, it was, it was very much of interest, really. Yeah, and there's not many people make that leap as well that that I'm trying to think of someone and uh you know I it happens indirectly of course as uh chefs become restaurateurs and all of that you kind of of course you're more involved with every element of the business at that point but mm. to make a I suppose a conscious decision in what you might classify as early to mid career uh, yeah. I suppose yeah. is a hell of a, a a leap of faith in yourself I suppose that you can cope with a very different set of skills was there a part of you at this point that was planning ahead or was this just something that was just no. an opportunity that was really <laughs> it was there wasn't time for planning ahead I don't think I think there was never there was never a moment's pause so I, I think it was never like right what do I really want to do it was just like okay this is an opportunity do I want to do it yep okay let's just let's just roll with it so it was very much just kind of that that mouse wheel I guess and just the treadmill of just right keep on going yeah what I really love about that as well is that I think a lot of people who run into trouble in their career, not this is, this is you in any way, shape or form, but they, they get defined by the role that they do. But actually, you're kind of, I suppose, highlighting just how adaptable we really can be if the drive is there to do that. Mm. You know, if you get if you got uh, made redundant tomorrow as a chef, as an example, that doesn't mean that you that's the only thing that you can do in your life. You know, yeah. the, the, there are you're you've just got to give yourself the credit that you can adapt to other stuff. And I think again that that kind of naivety piece of you know back at that time I didn't really know, I guess the full scale of what it would be. But I yeah. think just yeah, I guess just diving diving in head first really. Was there no part of you that wanted to swim towards the shallow end a little bit? Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> there was. Yeah, there was definitely a part that that was there, but it was kind of yeah. I guess I wouldn't really allow it to come to the surface in some ways. So how long were you general manager at uh, the Gilbert Scott? Uh, probably, well, actually, three after three years, I think I then opened, went on to the next, which was Treadwells. Um, and again, more of an operational role as yep. opposed to, to being in the kitchen. And that was the build. Yeah, that was kind of the project build from start to finish, whereas at the Gilbert Scott it had been kind of third party. So this was kind of right in the in the crux of it, really. Um, I mean, once again, like a brand new skill set to learn. <laughs> yeah, 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 very true. So yeah, it was, I guess, yeah, opened that kind of in an operational role whilst also still keeping an eye on, on the other one. But then a year later, so 2015, we must be it now, decided that well I, the head chef had left we hadn't had a great opening um and I kind of thought look I'm just going to go into the kitchen for a bit steady the ship and then I'll come back out after a, a few months 
Yeah, um, I mean, what ops people can say that they can do that? <laughs> <laughs> but they never really came out. Right. So kind of then started this this hybrid role, I guess, where my laptop would be on the path next to me at all times, and I would be also <laughs> running the kitchen at the same time. My life. Yeah, God, it, it's it's actually uh, it's wonderful to hear because I, I this is the the joy of this industry for me. It's is that you the, there's no right or wrong path. There's only mm. opportunity and your willingness to take or deny it. I mean, that's really all it comes down to. And and I think if you've got you clearly have a willingness to take advantage of opportunity. But um, yeah, I, I also sense that um, sometimes it'd be nice just to. I don't know, relax into the day and have a cup of coffee and just see how what happens or Absolutely. come and do a podcast or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I think that probably didn't really happen um, until COVID. R- really? Right. Okay. Well, that I mean, that takes us, Treadwells takes you up to that point, doesn't it? And into. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what, what happens to kind of, uh, I suppose, change your psyche or change? Well, I mean, I suppose you can just say COVID happened. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, the first, that first lockdown and obviously everything preceding that was pretty horrific until furlough was announced, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was the first time probably in, what point was that? 16 years that it actually stopped. And, you know, the weather, I, I loved that first lockdown. Absolutely loved it. It was the first time I'd stopped. It was the weather was beautiful. That's right, yeah. Um, it's the first time I actually really spent much time at home. Um, I kind of, all the things I'd ne- I hadn't had a chance to do in a very long time, I started doing again, cooking for myself even, just, you know, gardening, enjoying the sun, all those things, exercising, just getting to know where I lived <laughs> around my local area. Um, all the things that I guess probably a, a normal person does really. Yeah, so I think for me that was the kind of, yeah, that, that kind of aha moment of, what am I doing and why am I doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it definitely happens to a lot of people, as you say, when you're kind of on the, the hamster wheel, as it were, and you're just, yeah. your routine, I suppose, as much as anything else, this is what I do. This is, you know, you just get into the swing of doing it and mm. don't really think and contemplate and think about your direction and, you know, are you fulfilling the best of you and all of those yeah. things. So, yeah, I, I think a, a lot of us will look back on that time this podcast wouldn't exist without it. You know, it's like that, mm, that yeah. kind of thing. You yeah. know, we'll look back on, on that time and think we needed that. I mean, I know that there's, you know, there's, oh, there's, there's a yeah, definite negative other, side as well, but yeah, for definitely. sure. But, uh, yeah. but at the same time, you know, you, you've got to take the, the positives where you can get them. And, um, and if it was the moment that kind of just allowed you to come back to yourself a little bit and assess, then mm. yeah, it's absolutely served a positive purpose. No, hundred percent did very much so. Yeah. So, what happened then? What uh, what what was the 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 summarizing of your internal thinking? Yeah, I guess from my perspective, it was more of a sense of well, what you know, if I was to, I mean, it, it distilled down to this, but I don't think the question was I ever asked myself, but it was it was more a sense of well, what would what do I want to do? You know, what kind of business do I want to run, and what's important within that business? And how can I then also create something that's that is a bit more than the sum of its parts? If that makes sense. Yeah. And something that actually can do can do some good as well as just being something that's that makes money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think this? And please forgive this question, but uh, do you think this is an age thing? <laughs> because I say that because I have the the, the same thing happen to me, whereby I, I got into my forties and I was I was like right. Uh, this is not enough. I, I need to be doing something that's bigger than me, and hence the podcast is the first foray into to, to doing that. But the mm. it's definitely something as I've got older, I've become more in tune to the fact that I'm really conscious of my impact. I'm not conscious of the money that I make. the The money I make is a byproduct, actually, of all of the other hopefully positive stuff that that I'm doing. Mm. I think, yeah, I think it's it's probably, well, I think with age, it comes that, that ability to reflect, doesn't it? And actually think a bit further than just, you know, the, the next couple of years ahead of you. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think, yeah, think about others and think about how that all, how it all integrates. 
and how it can integrate in a better way and become yeah. more personally fulfilling. Yeah. So I suppose describe that journey then in terms of how you go from being what you were at Treadwells to then, I suppose, effectively what you're talking about is going out on your own and really creating something that is driven by you. Yeah. And I think that was the, obviously, tread, I did, I had full ownership of Treadwells, but I hadn't set it up with full ownership. And I yeah. think that was the bit that, that was kind of, didn't didn't sit right. I kind of felt like I was trying to put a square peg in a round hole. So it was very much a sense of, okay, well, rather than just jumping at an opportunity that could be, you know, commercially viable and lucrative, what's something that actually can, you know, all these things that I've realized are important, how can I create a business that has those as kind of the the pillars and also as the, the real framework rather than it being the other way around and always scrambling to make the business work. How can I actually make the business that can then be a number of things within itself? A very quick word, if you'll permit me. Providing great customer service is all about having the right people in the right place at the right time. And that's exactly where our sponsor, Rotacloud, can help. Rotacloud makes managing your team's rotas, attendance and annual leave easy. With its simple drag and drop planner, you'll be creating rotas for your team in minutes. While its built-in budgeting tools mean you'll know exactly how much you're spending on staffing before sending the rota out. One Rotacloud customer actually reported that they'd gone from spending 25% on their monthly turnover on wages to spending just 19%, all thanks to Rotacloud's intuitive rota planning software. So do your business a favour and head over to rotacloud.com forward slash fill to start your 30-day free trial and find out how much easier organising your team can be. Now let's get back to it. Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. You have had already kind of the entrepreneurial spirit from your time at Treadwells, and I suppose indirectly with everything else. But as soon as you kind of start taking control for something, then you you by very definition you usually got a little bit of entrepreneurial flair around that. Quite a daunting prospect, though I suppose as well, especially in the time that we're in. To um, a, a lot of people. It depends on who you speak to around this, but you know, it, at the moment, it can be a really good time for hospitality. But for some people, it's a pretty desperate time as well. So, mm. is that just a case of you kind of got to have the courage of your conviction? You've got if you genuinely believe in the thing that you are creating, then then you kind of believe that that things will just fill in around that. I mean, obviously, you need to have a strategy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, to start a business in the time that you have is uh, you know, you could say. It's pretty high risk. Yeah, I think from my perspective, it was I. It was it, yeah. There were a number of factors at play. I think one of them was well, I know how to run a hospitality business. I've kind of run three of them, and you know, have all been successful in terms of being able to be financially sustainable. Yeah, and also the operational know-how. You know, kind of felt like I had all of that. You know, in my armory, in some respect. So it was more a case of well it's a bit now or never. And in a way it is, it, there was a sense of, well, I want to see if this does work. I want to see if my, you know, perhaps more ethical, moral, moral way of running a business is actually is feasible and is viable and does it, does it work? And I guess there is that sense of, as you alluded to, of, well, there's other things I can do if it doesn't. I think that's probably the, you know, I had a backup plan. Right. Not, you know, in concrete but i knew i could you know there were other things i could do if i had to so yeah. for me it was more of a i really want to see if this can work and i really do want to make some positive change and i want to see if it's if it is possible or if it is just a you know pie in the sky thinking that actually it would be it's a bit more aspirational than than functional yeah um, yeah yeah I, I suppose you you covered off from a psychological perspective you covered off the worst case scenario which mm. it, which is that if it doesn't work, then I know there's something else I can do. It's you know, mm. and as soon as you take that risk away, then I suppose it's it's the kind of the, it's the green light because this mm. is this is also we were talking about naivety earlier on. This is the byproduct of growing old as well. Is that, <laughs> that is that you, we do have a more of a propensity to neglect naivety as a trait to help us get to a conclusion, and we do think things through to 
you know, is this actually going to work? Is it too yeah. risky? Am I, am I talking myself out of it? Or is somebody around me talking me out of it? Because they don't necessarily have the same risk parameters that I do. Yeah. yeah. And all of these factors, I suppose, play their part in whether you end up pulling the trigger or not. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So how long have you had apricity? Is that, is that the pronunciation? Yep. yep. So, well, it's been open just over a year. So about 14 months it's been open. Right. And for context, we're we're recording this in June of 2023. So just for somebody who's listening yeah. to this in 12 years' time. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Can you imagine? I know. Um, but I think the, the kind of idea of it and premise of it started, you know, two and a half years ago, really. So kind right. of double that, double that time. The motion, things were put in motion to start it. Yeah. And how long was that process for you, really, then, in terms of, I suppose, first of all, you've got to make the decision that, right, I'm I'm now going to do this. Well, I'm now mm-hmm. going to explore what this might look like if I'm going to do this thing. How long did it take you to kind of, I suppose, formulate a plan, uh, for want of a better phrase? I guess that's a good question. I think part of it had been bubbling away for a long time. So I think actually the, the kind of practical, okay, yes, this this may happen or this can happen now, Yeah, was probably, yeah, again, it all started with conversation with someone that was, that you know, had a site and that was interested um, and interesting. So that was how it all began, really. I think the idea of it was very much, the, the bones of it were kind of formed or the, 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 the pillars of it were, were formed, but the actual overall structure, et cetera, that, took longer and until there were bricks and mortar it was yeah just more just, of an idealistic yeah. view yeah. Mm, yeah yeah no absolutely great and well and how how is business how are you doing it's good touch wood it's yeah. good um I mean there's challenges but I think actually the things that I kind of put in place to start with have, have kind of served really well I think one of my biggest things I'm grateful to myself to myself for for actually sticking with is a five day week. Right. That is quite life changing for for everyone's sake. Yeah. Mine mine probably mostly in terms of just having something that I know is five day a week operation. So there's two days a week that I kind of it's not obviously it's in the back of my mind and there's still things going on, but actually that that kind of pressure of it being yeah, there's, there's a release valve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Knowing that, you know, even with staffing issues the way they are and out in the world, thankfully we don't have those, but just knowing that there's that security of, well, it's five days a week. And I think in the past, every other oper- operation I'd run was seven days a week. Yeah. Which now just... I know, <laughs> absolutely... it seems mad, doesn't it? Oh, I mean, my I never switched off, ever. Yeah. Never switched off. No, indeed, and this is the, the 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 thing. I suppose, as an industry, we've woken up for sure on this point without question. Some operations, it's impossible. You can't mm. can't close a, a hotel no, for two exactly. days a week, kind of thing. Yeah. But but equally, there is this. Thankfully, been this wonderful shift of focus into right. What's what are some of the things that we can do to make sure that when people come in and work for us that we're we're actually giving them the best chance of success and not just, you know, working them to the bone. Mm. And I think too, for an owner operated business, it's also, you know, we spend a lot of time I spend a lot of time thinking about the team. But actually if I'm not thinking about myself alongside that, then it's actually not going to work. Yeah. And I think I think of all the things that I want my team to have and all the I guess parameters and, you know, kind of procedures. And then sometimes I won't put those in place for myself but actually it's important that that is you know it's, it's as important uh, totally well I, I have a, a saying I'd like to think that I made this up myself I've probably nicked it from somebody else <laughs> but um is that um you know in the in the pursuit of excellence one of the, the best things you can do is look after look after yourself first and make sure that you're giving yourself everything that you need to to thrive, to, to be the best mm. version of yourself and blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff. Because it's not until you do that that actually that's when all the really, really good stuff happens. That's when you have the, the freedom of your mind again where you're not just constantly firefighting stuff that happens, but it allows you the moment to think about, actually, if we brought that into the business, that's going to have X, Y, Z knock-on effect. And, mm. you know, and you, 
it might not work, but let's try it. And uh, otherwise, you're just perpetually. And I've like, once again, I'll use the hamster wheel as the analogy. But hundred yeah, percent. Um, and you never come off it, and you never. You're just dealing with the same stuff. We don't know how to come off again. it because you're, yeah. you're on it so regularly that you just you can't you can't see the way out the way off it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think not enough is made of this for me in leadership. Because um, certainly historically, it's always been, you know, that lead from the front kind of thing, which is still there for sure. But lead from the front doesn't mean first one in, last one out every single day, exactly. you know, trying to set this pedestal up that nobody can achieve uh, yeah. or, or can sustain. And yeah, I mean, I know that sustainability, which is, you know, it's a word that gets banded around a lot now, but it is a, it's a massive part. It's not just about planet sustainability. It's about human sustainability. Yeah. And people are always the bit that get left out, and I think especially in our industry, I mean, that's that's we are ba- we are a service industry. We're based on people, mm. um, and that is our biggest asset. It's our biggest everything. And if we're not, you know, regenerating that, then there's not going to be nothing left. Yeah, absolutely. Nice segue, because <laughs> re- you're a regenerative restaurateur. <laughs> what does that mean? I think it is. I mean, for me, I've always I have a bit of an issue with the word sustainability, but I don't quite have an alternative yet. Why well, there's no alternative that people understand to that level? Because my issue with it is that we don't want to sustain things. We need to regenerate them. We need to improve them. And I think if you look at even, you know, people, you don't want to sustain your team. You want to rejuvenate them, regenerate them as much as yourself, as much as a business, as much as everything else, as, as you said, as much as the planet. And if we don't do that, then we're not, we're going to fall pretty short as we're kind of seeing the impact of now in some mm. ways. So for me, I think that regeneration is, is kind of a great way to, or a great phrase. And if we think about it across all aspects in terms of people, planet, purpose and profit, because we need to be profitable, otherwise we can't survive as businesses. Yep. Um, if that kind of becomes the key thought process, then I'm hoping that that better things will come. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's one of those things whereby actually a lot of business for me is, a, is around ensuring that you look after your own performance as best as you can, as consistently as you can, for as long as you can. And make sure that you're doing the right things as opposed to shortcutting and stuff like that. Because, yes, it's a harder initial route to take, but the benefit from a long-term perspective is way, way better. You look after all the good stuff and and good stuff will come to you at some point down the line. There's no question about that. And I suppose that's there's a little bit, it feels like there's a a mental shift towards this a a little bit as well. I know it's, it's difficult to maintain when busyness gets in the way. Yeah. Uh, we all want busyness because busyness usually means you know your business is thriving mm. but you can't neglect the other stuff at the same time as soon as you get back to being busy I suppose is the the key point yeah very much so and I think it is yeah it's just one of those things that you I think when you're setting up a business and I guess that's for me every business that I did set up kind of was based on either someone else's wishes and goals um, and objectives versus actually having a bit of a blank slate and saying, right, what would, what would the ideal business look like, um, and what would that encompass? And yeah, very much those things as you say that if you're constantly problem solving and firefighting, there's not any bandwidth for how do you move Advancement, forward? Yeah, because um, you're just doing, you know, it's just day to day. You're just treading water effectively. Yeah. And that scope to be able to to look forward and think in more of a 360 manner is, is you know, it's priceless. Yeah, critical, actually, I think. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise nothing moves forward, ever. No, no, yeah. exactly. And especially if you're a very, you know, if it's a small business and there's not that many, you know, heads involved in it, then actually it's almost kind of more important that those heads that are involved have got that, that scope to, to think and to create and to innovate. Absolutely. Through all of these changes, are you are you closer to the shallow end now? <laughs> I am. Yes, yeah. I know where it is. I know how to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. <laughs> you never, maybe, don't not ready to be there yet, but um, but certainly, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I can swim the between the two. I can swim between the two. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, well, that's massively important, isn't it? What I, I really love about your journey is 
this uh, I, I kind of there was no real plan. Like, no, it wasn't. Like you just got on with it. Yeah. Opportunity presented itself. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. We'll give that a go. Okay, that didn't work as quite as I thought it would be. Let's go there and try that. That sounds good. Yeah. Oh, that's well, that's an. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that'll add something mm. different to me. Let's. And then you know you kind of wake up and and here you are. Not not wake up, but um, you know, you, yeah. it, it's yeah. a it's a hell of a journey to this point. And in many ways, it feels like you're just really getting started. It does feel a bit like that. Yeah. Yeah, because you're now, well, you you hold the reins. You know, you're you're mm. kind of the master of your own destiny in that respect. And yes, of course, there's there's always going to be pressures and there's always going to be things that will come along to stump us. But um, I think by setting the pillars, as you call them firm in what you stand for and, and what your ethos is going forward, then mm. you stand a much better chance of long-term success, I would say. Yeah, because I think you've, you've got that structure, haven't you? That kind of internal structure. And I think, yeah, it's funny because I do, there's all these things now I see, and I'm like, oh, there's just so much to do in so little time. <laughs> like, how am I going to do everything I want to do? Yeah. It's, yeah, and, and a lot of, I think now it's just seeing all the, you know, the things that do need solving such as the food system and health and everything in this country, it just becomes more and more, yeah, there's just more and more I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, when I um, when I went on to LinkedIn, wonderful source of research is LinkedIn. <laughs> it is. The, the, there's this thing now that it does. It says, uh, talks about, uh, and uh, it tell, really? like all the posts that you put out on LinkedIn, it, it, I guess LinkedIn uses its technology to summarize the stuff that you generally talk about in hashtag form. So the things that you talk about are, and you maybe didn't know this, but uh, hashtag reuse, uh, circular economy, sustainable food, food waste reduction. Those were the key ones. So if ever there was a message out there of the stuff that you stand for, it's Thanks, right. It's, it, yeah, it's right there. It's doing it's doing your work for you. It's doing your marketing Thank for you. Great, I love that. But I, I think the all of these things are are, are great and and. Every time I hear you or see you do something, you you really stand by this message, and I and I love that. But I actually think this has massive power in your ability as a restaurant to succeed in your marketing, right? Because you're also, if people are connected to you and what you stand for, they're far more likely to come and want to support you and get behind you and enjoy the fruits of what you're actually trying to put together. Mm, 100%. Yeah, great. Well, you can leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, no, it's interesting because I think I kind of, it, I didn't, yeah, I think things, as, as with always with any business, things that you kind of didn't think would be a big part of it kind of become a big part of it in terms of, as you're saying, that, yeah, that integrity of messaging. It's like, this is what we stand for. This is why we do it. And I think before we opened, I was like, oh, are we going to get kicked back on this? Are we going to get people that are upset by this so we're going to get you know all the things you kind of think could go could go wrong or could be could upset people it's kind of been the opposite yeah and it's like oh it's yeah i guess in a way it kind of affirms that that whole integrity piece and actually as you say kind of if it's what you believe in and you're really passionate about it then you know stick with it and as long as every other box is is ticked um, it, it will work out. Yeah, absolutely. You're uh, you're also involved in other stuff by the looks of things as well. Again, my little friend at LinkedIn told me this that you uh, you're involved with Guardians of Grub. Yep. What indeed. is that? So that's a, that is a a rep initiative. So yeah, it's about food waste basically. Um, yep. Trying to minimise food waste in the hospitality sector mainly for then hopefully it to, to kind of the outreach to happen further afield so yeah very much i guess you know kind of valuing food is, is probably the the more eloquent way of saying it yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i suppose a lot of this feeds into your again just the stuff that you're really passionate about now uh, as mm. well you're also on the food council in london Yes, so the um, City Harvest Food Council. So City Harvest are a charity that redistribute surplus food. Right. Um, so they obviously twofold stop food waste and also feed those who need it most. So, yeah, for me, it's those are the things that, that need some focus is obviously 
food security for a lot of people, minimizing food waste, and then also, you know, the, the health aspect and the, which brings us on to, yeah, children and children education, which is another piece for me that I feel quite passionate about as well. Yeah, well, that, I mean, I suppose if we can educate them now as early as possible, then 20 years down the line, we've got a, a much better base point to start from. Yeah, exactly. And just understanding and valuing food is is, is huge and, and needs needs some, a lot more attention in, in schools. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, that's probably a, top, a whole topic on its own, to be honest. It is. <laughs> Very much is. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And the other things I made a note were uh, All's Well? So All's Well was a pop-up I did um, okay. during COVID. Again, just something that, talking about taking <laughs> taking risks... Um, yeah, I opened a pop-up in October 2020, purely because I needed something positive to think about. Right. And had a whole team of people that I couldn't give enough hours to, and yeah, a whole lot of equipment that I didn't need because we were only using half of everything. So yeah, decided to open a pop-up in East London, which was supposed to be for six months and actually turned up to be just under a year, actually, right. given all the lockdowns. but. I think that was where the, yeah, the first iteration of Apricity, in a way, because it was that very much just kind of small, local, yeah, and just then that was literally done from, yeah, from bones of, of, of not much, really. Right, yeah, so that was the, uh, that was the test kitchen for Apricity. In a way, yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't a way. Yeah, mm. like that, yeah, yeah, and then the yeah. last thing I made a note of was uh, the London Waste, London Waste and Recycling as well, you're also involved in that. Re London, it's now it's now called. Right, okay. um, yeah, so it's a it's an organisation that is well. The purpose is to move London towards a, a circular economy. Um, so looking at all sorts of consumption based emissions, emissions. So food is obviously a big part of that. Waste, so recycling and yeah, reuse, repurpose, and really focusing on how to yeah a lot of behaviour change stuff really. Yeah, you know, encouraging people to take their keep cups out with them is one of my big. <laughs> My big bugbears, yeah. takeaway coffee cups, just do my head in. Yeah, so all those things of kind of just returning back to, it's kind of just returning back to the way we used to do things. This is the thing. It's a lot of, most of it is common sense. Yeah. And it's not new. It's not innovative. It's actually valuing stuff and valuing food as, as part of that stuff is hugely important and actually wanting to repair, to reuse, refill all those sorts of things and recycling being the kind of the end result really. Yeah. Got a new, uh, a new hashtag for you to use in the future. Reject convenience. There we go. There well, we it can be convenient though. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Cause the, the, I think the it definitely convenience has a bad rep, right? Because it's yeah wow, convenient. So it's the easy option a lot of the time. That's mm. a lot of the reason what I suppose why people don't teach themselves how to cook you know because they're conveniently can just go and get a pre-made lasagna which you know we mm. won't get into the quality issues around that but um no all uh, the knock-on effects yeah. on health on yeah everything everything yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, the, the short-term cost is very convenient but the long-term cost is actually more inconvenient yeah very good mm. god that's uh, that's a subject for another day as well god there's so much yeah no no but it, it just feels like as a, a almost as a society we're we're only just scratching the surface of this now and mm. there's a movement towards it and there's a lot of people who care about all of these things and we just i think just need more and more people to to care yeah and to actually take the action i think there's it's um yeah rather than just worrying about and contemplating about it is actually just you know doing and small steps small steps are you know they're still a step yeah so if it is just you know taking your your keep cup versus getting takeaway coffee cup or if it is you know eating more vegetables there's just yeah there's lots of small steps that can be taken that aren't you know too daunting yeah absolutely excellent i do like to ask this question of everyone uh, i don't know if you're prepared for this or not but uh, do you have any funny stories from your career so far that you can share? Share being the optimum word here. <laughs> yeah, that I can share. Um, funny um, things probably weren't funny at the time, but I guess on reflection, yeah. <laughs> there's some of them. There's probably more random things than funny things. That, that works. 
Yeah, I love random as well, quirky, stupid. Like just, yeah. You know, cooking in weird and wonderful places. I've had a lot of those. I've cooked on the Orient Express um, in a wow. kitchen that was probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, and not exactly not stationary like, either. Uh, no. Probably moving like, around. Like, like, yeah. Trying to pour some soup and just wobbling. Oh, from side gosh. To side. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I literally probably have done some very, very random things that people were like, you did what? Cooked on film sets, cooked. Which films? Or can't, or can't you see? Burnt. So the one that was supposed to, yeah, the one that was kind of set in a restaurant kitchen. Ah, uh, right, yeah. Kind of looked at the script of that, all sorts of things. And just, yeah, in fields, ran, like just literally <laughs> very, very, very random places. Yeah, cooked in places that actually cooking wasn't allowed, therefore you couldn't really cook. You just had to kind of assemble. Right. Um, yeah, all, all sorts of just weird and wonderful things. It's like these uh, TV shows with um, the likes of James Martin and Rick Stein and uh, the Hairy Bikers and all that, and they're out on location cooking. Yeah. Like, that happens. I always um, yeah. remember uh, one of my favourite ever lines from any TV cook- cookery show ever was on the Haley Bikers when they were up a mountain in Hong Kong or something like that with Hong Kong as the backdrop and they'd lost an ingredient or something like that and one of them, I can't remember which one it was that said it, was, uh, oh this wouldn't happen to Rick Stein, would it? And I was just like <laughs> so true so true but, but yeah, I suppose it does give you amazing opportunities to do these left field things right that you maybe don't necessarily think about when you're starting your career but again opportunity presents itself kind of like initial responses yes and then worry about yeah and then why did i say yes (laughs) when you're standing there in the field why did i say yes to this again yeah absolutely (laughs) no that's great uh final question before i let you get on with your day what would be kind of your, your main reasons why somebody should join hospitality as a career? The variety. The variety is, is huge. No, well, you just kind of proved that with your little yeah. last little section on where you've cooked. No two days will be the same. And I think that's just so interesting. And, the, yeah, I mean, there's just the skill set you can get from it because it just crosses every single skill set there is, really. The whole yeah. plethora of of everything. It's creative, it's interesting, it's dynamic, it's, I just think it's, it is one of the best industries that you could be part of, um, and it makes people happy, brings yeah. joy to people. Yeah. There's not many of those. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> you're absolutely right, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, no, fantastic, look, thank you so much for making time, uh, I also appreciate we've overran a little bit, but I... Uh, Really, really enjoyed hearing your your story. I look forward to to seeing what you've got up your sleeves next uh, as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll definitely be popping in at some point to enjoy your wares after um, my wonderful experience at Treadwells. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. Take care. And there we have it. I've wanted to get Chantelle on the show for a while and her story did not disappoint. She's leading the way in how we can all do better in our businesses. And a massive thank you to her for coming on the show. We'll be back as usual at 8pm next Wednesday for another story from hospitality. So until then, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.